Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Here we are, week two of Lent. And if you remember last week's gospel, week, lo- week one, we were in the desert with Jesus. So it begins in a very low, humble, poor place. There's nothing fancy or impressive about the desert. In fact, it's hard. Jesus fasting. He's at the limits of his humanity, totally dependent on the Father, spent, not filled up with haughty self-reliance, triumphalistic ideas. No, he had nothing. Now, flash forward to this week, we're on top of a mountain. Jesus is gloriously being transfigured in front of them, shining out with his divinity. So what is the church as a good mom, Holy Mother Church, what is she trying to teach us by the first two weeks of Lent? It's the beginning and the end of the spiritual life. Those who ascend to glory, those who really want fulfillment, who really want to shine like the stars, who are not content with mediocrity, but feel in their bones the aspiration for greatness, for meaningfulness, for joy, for love that never ends, for a life that doesn't die. People who are taking seriously the cry of their heart. The only way to ascend to fulfillment is to descend into the desert. In fact, St. Paul in the book of Ephesians says, He who ascended first descended. Secular culture seems to get one thing right. We're made for greatness. But they have no idea how to get there. So they keep offering the new invention, the new gadget, the new clothes, the new car, the new vacation spot. This is what will do it. This will finally bring me in. They had no idea. Because in order to get there, we got to descend. We have to enter into the very places in our hearts and in our relationships that make us wildly vulnerable, dependent, small. And then we can receive the Father's love lifting us up like a child. So let's press in a little bit to the gospel this week so we can understand the destiny. Because last week we talked a lot about the descending and the journey. So what is this destiny? What's happening? So we've got the 12 apostles And in the 12 is a smaller group that Jesus always relates to, Peter, James, and John. He takes these three up a high mountain, and he's praying with them. So first off, that's not uncommon that Jesus would pray with friends. So maybe mental note, when was the last time you just spontaneously said to your friends, hey, let's just pray for a few minutes. May sound like a weirdo to them, but you would look like Jesus. Okay, good. Moving on. So so you're up the high mountain, all right? There it is, Jesus. And all of a sudden, his skin, his body, his clothes are shining with the most captivating brilliance that words can't even describe. The Gospel of Mark says, as such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. 
Like it's a white that you can't even conceive of. It's just shining out of him. His divinity was on display. And what we see is that as divine life and humanity become one, humanity isn't deleted, minimized, rejected, but it's actually glorified. As you grow closer to God, you aren't deleted, but completed. You aren't destroyed. What Jesus in his very life shows us is that humanity and divinity, when they come together, humanity shines. We become glorious, beautiful, full of truth and goodness, life and love, forgiveness and justice. In our Catholic tradition, we have countless Men and women known as the saints that show us this. Who was more beautiful, truly? Someone on the front of a magazine or the life of Mother Teresa? Atheists even say, well, I'm no Mother Teresa. Why is she a standard? Because she radiates something of the mystery. Now, in order for us to see that our destiny is union with God, and therefore, as I become closer to God, I will shine in all my unique unrepeatableness, and so will each of you. You will become who the Father created you to be, and that only happens in union with Jesus. That's why we want everyone to know Jesus. But what's amazing is the divine life shined out not in spite of Jesus' body, but precisely in and through his human body. Which means our faith rises and falls on the relationship between what is physical and what is spiritual. In fact, if you look at most of the heresies of the Catholic Church, it has to do with our relationship to the physical and the spiritual. Our current culture tends to think that what is really real is somehow hidden behind what is physical. That if you can just get away the body, then you can get to the real self. Let me just come up with a very simple example to show how philosophers say that's not true. Have you ever seen anyone blush? What's happening when someone blushes? Their deepest self is embarrassed but their body is making it visible. The body makes visible the invisible, namely the person, and in Jesus' case, God. So our bodies are the place where we come to know our true faith. I have mentioned for six months the catechism of the Catholic Church, and I thought it's going to be like Carrot Top the Comedian. I'm going to bring a prop today. Here's the actual catechism. All right, that's what it looks like. It's a big book. All right, you don't read it like a novel. If you do, you're going to get bored and leave the church because it's not meant to be read like that. It's more of like an encyclopedia. You have questions, you look them up, and it's all laid out for us. Saints, bishops, theologians, mystics, 2,000 years combined into this book on almost every question you could have. So, this morning I woke up early and this quote came to mind. This is on, the paragraphs are numbered. 
This is number 1015. I'm saying that because my homilies every week are recorded on podcasts. So if you wanted to listen to it, you can go back to 1015. Okay, so there you go. Here's what it says. The flesh is the hinge of salvation. Let's lean into this. What is a hinge? It's a door, right? Doors have hinges. It means either you're entering the faith or you're out of the faith. Either you're in the biblical worldview that God wants us to have or you're not. It's the hinge. And it involves flesh, our masculinity and femininity. Getting that right is the hinge. Let's continue. We believe in God who is the creator of the flesh. We believe in the word made flesh in order to redeem the flesh. We believe in the resurrection of the flesh, the fulfillment of both the creation and the redemption of the flesh. The transfiguration shows us that the glory we seek is not when we shed these bodies as if there's some sort of shell that we're trapped in, which is what many philosophers thought, but rather when we press into our humanity, all of its suffering, limitations, and all of its pleasure and goodness, and then open that up to Jesus so he can unite us to divine life, and we too, as being united to Jesus, can shine with the brilliance that such on earth no fuller could bleach them. What happens to Jesus happens to you. Jesus didn't show his divinity to say, look how great I am and look how terrible you mere mortals are. No, no, no. He said, do you see the beauty? Do you feel the call? It has to do with your masculinity and your femininity. In the beginning, God created them male and female. In his image and likeness, he created them. From the very beginning, taking this seriously matters. And in our church practices, we see it. We don't just preach, right? God bless our Protestant brothers and sisters. They're so good with scriptures. They love the Lord, but they don't, we don't just preach in our tradition. We hear with our bodily ears the words of God, but then we have physical signs known as the body of Christ and his body is taken into your body as men and women to grant you a share in the redemption of your bodies so that one day when you die and rise, you can be granted the glorified body and share in the resurrection of the body for life everlasting. And this is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It's the hinge. And I promise you, Bishops, priests, cardinals, nuns, married people, lay people, old and young, all of us on some way, shape, or form wish some bodily experience we didn't have to address. It would be so nice if we could just shed the limitations. But he who ascended first descended. So I want to end with a little story because we'll be here till 2 p.m. otherwise. Pope St. John Paul II, who wrote the theology of the body, which means to say our masculinity and femininity and our call to become one reveals God's plan to marry us in Jesus. Okay. It's a 600-page book. I just reduced it to a sentence. All right. 
Cliffnotes.com. Great. So, Pope St. John Paul II, as a young priest, was studying in Rome. And he was walking along the, uh, these famous gardens in kind of just in the center of Rome, just a little outside the center. And they have some of the most ancient statues there. And he was walking and contemplating, he said, for many hours. And what he came to discover is that the ancient Roman society was longing for the perfect human form. They were looking for the perfect female form and the perfect male form. And so all of these statues, of course, were attempts to get this perfect. And what he says is, they were looking in their own way for the resurrected one. Or today we could say the transfigured one. Where the perfect, glorious beauty of divine life was shining through a human body. Jesus. And he said, but people who want that never want to go through the humiliation of the body in order to get there. Jesus suffered and died and then rose gloriously. He did it first to show, I really do want to glorify and grant you the resurrection of the body, but there is no other way than suffering and dying and rising. This is why in Lent we have bodily disciplines like fasting. This is why we do penance like forgiving people. It gets into the flesh. If all you had to do was ask forgiveness from God, it wouldn't be the Bible, wouldn't be Christianity. We have to go to other people and say, would you please forgive me? And it stinks. (laughs) It's hard because it gets you right in the gut. It hits your flesh because the flesh is the hinge of salvation. And as you get older, I'm only 37, but I certainly visit a lot of people in homes and nursing homes. We have the blessed ones who are in handy, who are handicapped in wheelchairs and walkers and canes. They want to skip and run like they were 20, but they've had to accept the descent of the body. And in accepting it, that Jesus is suffering with these ones right here. He is limited. He is suffering. While they stay united to him through the Eucharist and prayer, they will enter a place where their bodies will be resurrected and glorified, and they will run and not grow weary. They will be able to skip and dance. Their fingers won't have arthritis. They will feel great. But that's not in this world. This world is a journeying deeper into the dying of Christ so that we can live by the hope of the resurrection of Christ and live in the resurrected body. Yes, work out. Yes, eat right. Yes, take care of the body. But not as an ultimate reality. Everything will decay. And it's frightening if it wasn't for the fact that we have the transfigured Jesus saying, come and follow me. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. 
just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us. <laughs>